Welcome to Arrows on Air, presented by Tomorrow's Air. I'm Christina Beckman, and this is a show where we meet artists, travelers, and scientists from all over the world to talk about art, travel, and climate action. Hello and welcome. In today's episode, I'm chatting with Nicole Kokolis. Nicole is a former colleague of mine, currently finishing her PhD at the University of Queensland's Business School, focused on tourism and climate. You'll enjoy this conversation if you work in travel or are a travel and tourism student with an interest in climate. We learn about what her PhD research has uncovered, discussing consumer attitudes and the hallmarks of persuasive communication when it comes to climate. Along the way, Nicole reveals a luck with green card lotteries. We talk about the realities behind sustainability enthusiasm in the popular press, the valuable co-benefits of credible carbon offsets, and the importance of framing climate communications in a positive light. Nicole has experience working with the United Nations World Tourism Organization and Emerson Collective's Nature Division. She was also recognized as a young talent by the World Tourism Forum, Lucerne, for a paper on the eco-labeling process in tourism. Her past research has focused on travel risk behavior, indigenous tourism, ecotourism, and tourism policy and marketing. I hope you enjoy our conversation. Nicole Kokolis, welcome to Arrows on Air. Thank you for making time for me today. How are you? Hi, Christina. I'm doing great. We met in San Francisco because of your PhD work, which um, is focused on how, how people feel about air travel in this sort of climate urgent moment, as I understand it. Do I have that? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so, no, I'm always, I'm always grateful when people, are, you know, people are able to sort of roughly touch on what my PhD is about. It's so, PhD is always so specific. It's always really admirable when other people uh, can sort of rehash what your topic is. <laughs> so thank so you, you for listening. <laughs> uh, well, of course, it caught my attention. <laughs> Um, so your PhD is with the University of Queensland, and then, but how did you end up in San Francisco? So that's actually a wild story. Um, I was hanging out at my house in Melbourne. Um, like you do. And, uh, I, yeah, which you do. And uh, my partner noted that it was um, time uh, for the, uh, to submit your application for the um, uh, green card lottery. So it's a lot of Americans don't know about the green card lottery, but every year um, the U.S. releases literally out of a lottery system. The U.S. Uh, gives a certain number of people around the world a green card. And so we went in the green card lottery for that year and I was lucky enough to get it. So I literally won. <laughs> I literally so won. I, I, now I am remembering this story. But you weren't in San Francisco because of some PhD-related university. I have to go to California no. to study this thing. No. No. I have just, the immense privilege of moving here just because I wanted to. You randomly <laughs> applied for a green card and got it. I just got it, yeah. It wasn't and then even like your, in my plan. What did your partner to do? To the US. Well, he was he was the instigator of it. <laughs> so he he was uh, I, I was finishing up my um like uh, my uh, masters by research, and so I was kind of at the time happy to stay in Australia and finish my PhD. 
And he, at the time, was working um, a really intense job where he had about one day off a month. And mm. he said, I was, I was saying, oh, you know, I don't know. Um, oh, maybe I stay and then after my PhD, we move. And he said, no, we're going. <laughs> you know, we started working together because you were advising our um, Climate Action Strategic Initiative at the Adventure Travel yeah. Trade Association. Um, yeah, that's how I we... remember meeting you. I remember meeting you, Christina. It was at the um, best in the um, sustainable tourism, oh, uh, right? Yeah, yeah, conference. And uh, we were at um, we're in a hall at the um, Cal Academy, um, and we we'd emailed, but mm-hmm. um, I was I'd never spoken to you, and I was unaware of your um, your unbridled enthusiasm for climate. <laughs> <laughs> too much intensity (laughs) no it wasn't too much it was amazing um and I remember meeting you and you and you came up you said Nicole oh my goodness let's talk we have so much to talk about and we did and it was great we did you know what I liked about I mean what I still like about you is I feel like I have um I'm like self-taught in this realm (laughs) And so I have ideas and then I scoot around to the best of my ability with people I can talk to and articles I can read. And I felt like you had a lot of the research, you know, obviously, because it's your PhD. But thank you. But um, but that is really that's so helpful. So maybe we can get into some of that here. Like, for example, when we think about air travel. So you've been studying consumer attitudes towards air travel or travel yeah. attitudes, I would say like, uh-huh. you know, my attitude has been travel can do so much good in the world. And now I'm racked with guilt and feeling desperately like I have to fix it um, because travel also can do so much harm because of the emissions, you know, for our, yeah. for people who've been working in sustainable tourism for a long time, the, you know, the, the essential, um, challenge here is how do you reconcile the benefits of travel, which are so well documented with the emissions harm? Tell us, like, you know, do you have statistics, break it down? What, what kind of emissions comes from air travel? And maybe we start there and then we can talk about how we're fixing it. Yeah. So um, there was a paper that came out a couple of years ago that. Um, tried to quantify uh, emissions of the tourism industry mm, and what the, the Lenser paper, yeah, Lenzen, mm-hmm. yeah. Um, the the second author on that paper actually is at um, the University of Queensland, which is where I'm doing my ph my PhD. Mm-hmm. Um, she's really lovely and she's incredibly smart and she does a lot of um, uh, papers on quantifying emissions. Mm, <laughs> um, what's her name? Uh, Yayan Sun. Mm, okay. Yeah. So you're very a lot of familiar. This I remember this paper because I quoted that yeah. all over the place, and it was kind of justification yeah. for yeah for the for the intensity around climate. Uh, it's definitely one of the defining papers of our field in recent years. Quantifying emissions is incredibly difficult, um, and that was just a really great uh, barometer of this is how much we're responsible for. 
Um, so it was really 8%, great. Eight percent of all yeah. emissions is what I remember. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yep. Eight percent of uh, for tourism, um, and of that, air travel is about two to two and a half percent. So when you when you think about that on a global scale, oh, you know, two percent of all emissions, it doesn't sound that significant. Um, but when you look at growth in the air travel industry, that's when it really sort of uh, you know, comes into focus of the emissions growth predicted um, for the future of aviation if we don't uh, intercept that at this point. In your work then, like I'm one anecdote of somebody who mm-hmm. has an attitude of, <laughs> of great uh, need to fix, fix, clean up her mess. Yeah. But what have you seen in your, in your research? What do people... What yeah. are the attitudes that people have? The one minute recap of my PhD? <laughs> <laughs> well, or five. I don't know. Yeah, tell oh. us. <laughs> yeah, cool. Um, well, so uh, we were pre-recording, we were, we were chatting and, uh, you know, you mentioned that people today tend to have, it, it feels like people today are either, I'm going to fly and, you know, it, it, not that it doesn't matter, but, you know, I'm just, I'm going to fly because that's what I'm going to do. Or people um, are, I can't fly anymore. I can't do it. it I'm done. I'm never going to fly again. Mm-hmm. So we are, it does feel socially like we are somewhat at this binary. Um, but I do think that the I'm going to fly portion is, is split. There are people that are still um, not necessarily, I don't want to say people are climate deniers, but um, even though, you know, there are those people that exist in society. But I would say the majority of people uh, care about climate change. They're concerned about climate change. Um, but there's still um, a separation between this, you know, idea of a changing global climate and my personal actions and my personal behaviour. Mm-hmm. Um, Wait, say that again. There is people are making the connection uh, there's still, so I think it, some people are making the connection, but there's still um, a bit of a gap between, mm-hmm. you know, this idea of, you know, a global a global climate, um, mm-hmm. you know, climate change and what my day-to-day behavior means. You mentioned at one point that you were, you were uh, comparing the fact that planes only recently had sort of emissions um, limits in the way that we have like smog checks for cars and trains. Can you yeah. say more about that? Because when, when you first brought that up, it did kind of blow my mind. Like we haven't, we haven't thought about this as long as we've been thinking about it with cars and trains. Is that true? Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Um, one of the, one of the big biggest gripes, in my opinion, of the um, aviation industry is that, hey, actually, before I dig into that, I just want to mention that, um, you know, my, my research focuses on like consumer behavior, but that is very much in response to what you're talking about. The fact that the aviation industry um, has sort of skated by without any real um, accountability for emissions or the environmental impact um, of air travel. 
um, up until very recently, as in the last five years. So this is sort of like coming. Yeah, I think of aviation now as pretty good actors. Like they see from my vantage point, aviation seems to be trying. I'm also, you know, it might just be like the corner of the world that I'm in. Um, but you know, like sustainable aviation fuels and it seems like it's a topic. There's sustainability leads at these places. I mean, I have, I know there are bad actors always, but it seems now like the aviation industry is very much trying to, to be better. Is that fair? Yeah, I'm going (laughs) to, we often disagree and I love that about us. (laughs) um, Well, because I'm like this naive optimist, like everybody's trying and you're like, well, (laughs) not always. Yeah. yeah, Let us have it. I think, yeah, you can't like, yes, the aviation industry is definitely trying harder now um, than it ever, ever had in the past. So there was a study led by Paul Peters that came out a few years ago in 2016 and the authors noticed that the aviation industry kept pushing this narrative that a technological solution to emissions is just around the corner so what the authors did was they analyzed representations of aviation technology in print media so like the guardian the new york times um, and also like the daily mail so they had a good mix uh, of, of publications and what they did was they looked at the history of how these technologies were represented and how far they've been developed in real terms. And some of the things they analyzed were like solar flight and electric flight um, and alternative fuels like algae or hydrogen, um, of, you know, all these things we've kind of heard of. Um, and depressingly for each technology, they kind of arrived at either social economic um, or technical barriers to the further implementation of each of the technologies. And often the reason that they aren't rolled out is that they're not scalable. Um, And that issue of scalability really highlights one of the major, major problems for the aviation industry, which is, is, is scalability. Um, So before we move on, let me just mention that before COVID, commercial aviation was projected to double by 2038 to reach 8.2 billion passengers per year. Now that figure has obviously been impacted by, you know, this big bump in the road, which is COVID, um, but the industry is going to likely to recover and it will hit that figure at some point further down the line. But when you think about the scale of, you know, that level of mobility, um, and then you compare that to technological breakthroughs of like electric flights that carry 19 passengers, um, those breakthroughs just don't measure up to um, the the level of the number of people who fly um, internationally and globally. Um, and it's just like those breakthroughs um, just aren't enough to make a dent in, you know, the 8.2 billion passengers and their accompanying emissions. So this is depressing. This is bad news. I know. So the, I know, art- and the, I know. the article, the, that paper said, that paper said there's too much of this getting hashed in the news and giving people a false sense of optimism. Like where, yeah. so practically, 
where does this leave us? What do you think about carbon removal? Like we have this yeah. vision of carbon-free travel. And yeah. I think it happens through a combination of, you know, reductions and improvements throughout yeah. like all the ways that travel experiences are delivered. You know, think about yeah. scaling these innovations in planes, but everything else and removing because there's the emissions we release today when we get on a plane yeah. or drive in a car. And then there's the fact that we have that once those emissions are out there, they live in the atmosphere for hundreds, 300 to a thousand years. So many human lifetimes mm -hmm. and carbon yeah. removal, especially through technology, which we're very um, focused on at Tomorrow's Air, mm -hmm. has this potential to accelerate the pace at which yeah. we can pull these excess CO2 emissions out of the atmosphere and store them. Do you like, do you buy that? Where do you, what do you think of that? Yeah. Well, um, I think I see this, the way forward is a multifaceted solution. So essentially we can't rely on um, technological breakthroughs from within the industry to solve the problem to the point where we as consumers don't have to do anything. And that's where, um, you know, my research angle comes in looking at consumer behavior. Um, that's not by any means to say that it's all our responsibility and we have to, um, you know, I mean, we are responsible for our carbon emissions, but it's also primarily up to the industry to um, provide a greener product, I personally would argue. But it is a multifaceted solution from industry on a policy level and on the consumer level. And part of that is carbon removal. I personally, I'm a massive um, advocate for um, further research and work in climate communications. We already know um, how the environment is changing. We already know, we already have people doing um, emissions estimates. We, we know what our impact on the climate is. What we, where the gap is, is people understanding what their behavior means or understanding what their, um, you know, their, carbon footprint is. So I personally think that um, a lot of the focus needs to shift from what the impacts are to, uh, you know, what we can do about it or how to get people to understand mm. what it means. We really were made for each other without knowing it. <laughs> I, I mean, because this is, this is the, the essence of tomorrow's air is yeah. to make to make measurable, tangible climate action desirable yeah. and accessible. Yeah. And so, you know, all that we are, and we're experimenting. I, I see a lot of, you know, what Tomorrow's Air is working on with its messaging and Instagram and our, you know, the, this podcast, for example, mm -hmm. is different ways to, to, to communicate climate action in a way mm -hmm. that, that makes you want to hear about it, you know? So it's like, we're trying yeah. to put climate action alongside art, the artists for air program alongside travel with travel inspiration. And the whole, mm -hmm. the, the whole approach we're taking, I feel like is one that's less around feel guilty, calculate your emissions, yeah. compensate your mm -hmm. emissions. I personally am tired of feeling guilty for everything I do. I think there's, yeah. I think we're going to have a backlash, you know, like 
I know so much of our lifestyle is not is not correct. You know, too much meat, we know too that. much driving, yeah. too much fast fashion, too much fill in the blank. And it, but the overwhelming yeah. kind of like preachy content on every <laughs> subject makes a person exhausted and resentful. And so now yeah, you don't it's hear like, it. yeah, I don't want to hear it anymore. Like, and I think, you know, what you were saying about um, industry developing greener products, I think that's also, I think consumers are going to shop according to their values and the industries yeah. need to respond by embedding sustainability into their products. And I think we see this in a, you know, across the board in a lot of different ways. Um, mm -hmm. But it's so like, there's, it's really not formulaic yet, yeah. right? Like, Let's, how to communicate yeah. this. Anyway, tell yeah. me what you, what you think. Like, are we on the right track here? My research is, um, you know, primarily born out of tourism and out of air travel. And the last, um, you know, couple of years, I've really focused on climate communication. A, there's a lot of, there's a lot out there already. <laughs> and B, I find it so, so fascinating um, that how to communicate climate because it is very very different to what we think it should be like um and and it's you know its own form of marketing and i just i love it i'm so fascinated in it let me tell you some things that um i found in my research that i think are particularly important so first of all to your point about feeling um guilty and not wanting to hear it anymore this is you know you and I feel like that coming and, and we're people who are already invested. So we already have some level of resilience to those messages. Um, messaging for climate should, in, should be, um, you know, it, it's okay to mention the consequences, but it's really important to also mention uh, a, a um, potential behavior or a potential what you can do about it. Um, I think in uh, with, um, tomorrow's air, you're in a great position because you can say, yes, you know, your flying or your travel um, can contribute X amount of emissions to the atmosphere, but you can offset it. This is what you can do about it. And that's the real key with climate communication is what you can do about it. Because people, you can't just tell people that they're terrible. There's like <laughs> there's you know that just doesn't that doesn't uh engage anyone and it doesn't motivate anyone to do anything um mm -hmm. it's really interesting to me because when we talk about i mean completely anecdotally this is not from research this is from my opinion um i when we when we look at traditional uh climate messaging of like oh the earth is burning and everything is going to fall down unless we do something about it to me that aligns very much more with like charity uh, like a charity uh, marketing mm, and uh, mm. communications, like, mm -hmm. oh, you know, um, I don't know, children are suffering, mm -hmm. give them money. Mm -hmm. um, whereas I personally believe that climate communications needs to shift to more of a sales model. You need to sell mm -hmm. the climate. You need to sell people on the climate, yes. not make people feel bad about it. Right. Um, you know, like yeah. the mark I and said in some conversation, I was like, climate needs people who know how to sell lipstick and high heels yeah. and yeah. hair products. Like yeah. it needs that know. glam factor. Yeah, for sure. You need to get people excited about it and not 
get make people feel terrible about it. People already know that, you know, we have, well, I mean, not everyone, you know, we, we know there's like 10 years to act, these like real negative, um, you know, headlines. Yes, mm-hmm. climate, <laughs> it, is, it is inherently depressing because we're going in the wrong direction, but we, we have to find a way to reframe it and sell it so that people can get behind it and get positive and get motivated to actually do something instead of these, if messages um, are only negative, People are just going to feel, continue to feel completely disempowered and not know what to do about it and nothing's going to change. So what I found in my research for my final study, I created climate-based messages that I framed around some of the reasons people said they chose to fly. And I put a lot of effort into the messages to make them accessible and digestible to the average traveler. So for example, one thing that kills me about carbon calculators is that they measure carbon in tons who knows how much a ton is that's instantly not relatable right there to the average traveler so in my messages i made sure to state um carbon emissions associated with flights in kilograms um, which was relevant because my um, study was in australia and they use a metric system i also took advantage of the fact that due to covid people weren't flying So what I did was um, I was like in my messages, I said, oh, hey, you've saved X amount of carbon from the atmosphere to make people feel like they're doing the right thing and that their choices matter, which they do. And due to the timing um, and the timing of my data collection and, you know, it was during COVID, I was able to put this sort of positive spin on it. Um, And I think that really helped alleviate any sort of tension that might arise from um, messages that have a bit more of a like blame um, aspect to them. And I found two impactful message strategies or message frames. So first were messages framed around emissions as one of the cost benefits of flying. So emissions um, along with comfort, safety, travel time, et cetera, the like logistics um, of flying and of, you know, flying as a mode of transport. And the second message that um, was also very impactful was framed around protecting the things you love to explore, aka the planet. So Christina, earlier you talked about people being driven by their values. So people who care about the environment are definitely informed by those values in their consumer um, decision behavior, but not everyone is quite there yet. And we just have to make sure that we're capturing those consumers as well. Mm. To be well-traveled is um, viewed socially mm. as, um, as, as good. It's, just so, it's socially desirable to say, oh, I've traveled to mm-hmm. a lot of places. Mm-hmm. Um, even though what that really means is that, you know, you have a much, you're more, <laughs> you're more privileged and you're, you have a much higher carbon footprint than everyone. I wonder, it feels also like in the popular press, I felt a little bit like everyone felt like they weren't taking flights. And so this is great. And somehow that bothered me because I wanted to yell on the sidelines, yes, and atmospheric carbon dioxide concentrations remain very, very high. And so the reduction of this year, the 7% reduction this year, like well done, and doesn't really make a difference. We still have <laughs> an enormous job to do 
in yeah. cleaning up the emissions that we've already put out there. So yeah. don't get it in your heads. That the, anyway, of course you can't say that. That goes, against, that goes against well done. That's like <laughs> <laughs> the worst kind yeah. of mothering. Well done and... <laughs> And it makes and no terrible. difference at all. <laughs> <laughs> no, yeah. But um, I think the the entry points have to be well done. Mm-hmm. Like mm-hmm. it has to. Because, mm-hmm. because you're not, not going to get people engaged immediately with do better. You're going to get people engaged immediately with you're doing great. Um, you know, you've sacrificed X, Y, Z, well done. Well, this is such a good lead into another conversation I wanted to have with you, which is around calculators. And oh yeah, the um, and we've talked about this a little bit in the past, also like the analogy. It feels a little bit like when we started putting nutrition labels on food, the Mm -hmm. amount of sugar, the amount of trans fats, and all the kind of marketing that helped us learn about saturated fat and trans fats, and then. Once we knew that, then we look at the label of everything we buy and we realize these processed foods aren't healthy and we mm-hmm. stop buying them and the world gets better. And so mm-hmm. is there a similar kind of trajectory with carbon emissions calculators and carbon emissions nutrition labels on trips? Yeah. And I, so I'd love to hear your thoughts on calculators. And I have, um, I'm so mixed on calculators because I feel like it is, you know, very, very useful to understand the emissions associated with your travel. And it also kind of leads you down an action path at the moment anyway, that I think continues to miss a big point. You know, if you're only, if you're only worried about offsetting the emissions of this moment, you're going to go for the lowest cost offsets. You're going to consistently not support the scale up of technologies that we know we need because right now they're more expensive. And it sort of keeps you on a track of like the emissions I'm putting out today and not recognizing all the emissions that are built up that we have to address. So I'm so... I'm so conflicted on calculators. Tell me what you think about emissions calculators. Yeah. That's so interesting. I never thought of it like that, but all of those things are really, yeah, I totally hear where you're coming from. Mm. It does capture right now, or often not even right now, often like what I might mm-hmm. do in the future. Your future trip. Like, yeah. Yeah. Or, um, you know, you're, it's always going to be an estimate, right? calculators i mean there's flight emission calculators and there's also like general general life activities carbon footprint calculators and unless you're super diligent and in which case you'd be in the minority i think that you know you're kind of just going to guess oh yeah i probably have about that much meat and i'll probably have about probably Mm -hmm. fly about i'll probably drive about that much um so it's all still very much an estimation yeah i Calculators are so necessary as a step in the door, mm. but I hear what you're saying about, um, you know, that they, they like, and then what? And where's mm-hmm. the next step after that? Yeah, like myclimate.org. And you mm-hmm. mentioned another, um, I think, atmosphere, A T M O S F A I R. 
tell, so these are some good ones for getting a yeah. handle on your emissions, which is useful. Yeah. I mean, I think as an individual, yeah. what I think now as my best, like what I can do, what I do is I offset with affordable offsets. So supporting natural solutions, conservation, trees, forests. There's so many good projects and support the scale up of carbon removal technology. That to yeah. me feels like now I'm, because there's all these co-benefits also associated with good, credible offsets. And so I think of offsets now, I think of conventional offsets in more of a, of a social, I think of the co-benefits more than I actually think of the climate benefits, you know, because I feel like the climate benefits are, are, I mean, I don't know, avoiding emissions is good. Renewable energy is great. Those are also important. And the bigger problem to me feels like how, how do we move fast on removing built up CO2? You know, Christina, what you say about focusing on co-benefits, that's so interesting mm. because a lot of, a lot of research, um, that has come out recently on voluntary carbon offsets mm. and also on um, uh, um, tur- uh, perceptions of tourism emissions. Mm. Um, people are much more receptive to um, to messages and um, to communications that are framed around co-benefits, mm. um, benefits to local communities, mm. for example. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and um, the human impact mm-hmm. of because you can relate uh, to that. Hu- it feels tangible. Yeah, you can relate to it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. I think I think that um, I mean I care about the environment. I love animals and I love trees, um, and so that's my um, outlook. Mm-hmm. But uh, you can't assume <laughs> that everybody you know loves trees. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. To make it a human issue, which it inherently is. We'll get more people on board. So we have to focus on the impacts to human health, the co-benefits, the impacts on local communities, rather than the impacts on forests. We really need to shift away uh, from this image of, you know, the lone polar bear on the melting ice. And I think that that's really important. Um, Yeah, important. Important for future messaging within climate and travel. Yeah. Nicole, we've had such a worky conversation. I haven't asked you. <laughs> well, Nicole, thank you so much for making time for me today. And um, I look forward to talking with you more. Yeah, this has been amazing. I love our chat. Bye.